Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Kevin Fishbane. I got fishy business. Okay, Fishbane. Fishy business? Fishy business. Well, I call him whenever I have him on the show. Fishy business. Bears beat writer for The Athletic. Are you talking about how the Bears had 10 days off between games after their two best passing performances in the first play from scrimmage against an all-blitzing defense was to let a blitzer come free? Kevin Fishbane talking Bears. Hey, Kevin. Uh, Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. I love your name. It's a great name. Yeah, great name. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. To what do we owe the honor of speaking with the Illinois Sports Writer of the Year? I'm surprised he's still even bothering with us. I think he did. Man, I got to tell you, having Kevin win the Illinois Sports Writer of the Year and our guy Sean Hyken win the Oregon Sports Writer of the Year in the same week, it just did my heart good, man. I was like, look at this. Two guys who absolutely deserve some recognition, getting that recognition, nothing better than that. Kevin Fishbane's on Twitter at KFishbane. Bears beat writer for The Athletic is on the Circus Sports Illinois hotline, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670. The score, fishy business. What's up? Hello, boys. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And look, I think that I can say this without you know worrying about boosting Dan's ego too much is – I owe a lot to you guys and everybody else at the score who's put me on over the years and and I've worked to try to do a better job covering the team and 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 you know for you guys for the listeners and you know it's 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 all a team effort so I, I do appreciate it. All right, well that's fine, but we want to talk about you because you're the one who won the award and we do appreciate the love. But for you to win it, like it's one thing to be nominated. And Lord knows I've been nominated for stuff that I haven't won, and that feels pretty good. What's it like to to get that email that says that you were the actual winner of Sports Writer of the Year? Um, yeah, it was. I, I actually I got a call, Lawrence, and Sweet. I, you know, and you guys know me well enough to know I, I'm rarely without words. Um, I talk a lot and write a lot, and I'm very verbose, and I have nothing to say. I was I was very speechless. I mean, everybody knows how incredible the talent is in the state, and the other finals who are up this year. Um, I mean, just to, just to get that, like, it was, it was crazy. It, I like still beyond belief. Um, so I've got, I think I have 362 days left, um, <laughs> and to, to kind of milk this thing a little bit, but it, no, it's, it's, it's a true honor. And, you know, I, I do my best to, I just try to work hard and tell good stories. And, uh, it was really cool to have that, 
uh, recognized by my peers. And I'm glad, Lawrence, you mentioned Sean Hyken because I've continued to follow his stuff uh, since he's gone out to uh, Portland. And for him to start up on his own and, and get that honor was uh, it was very cool to see. And I will I should also note that I, I know the sports caster of the year for Illinois is no longer covering Illinois team, and I am not leaving to cover the Detroit Lions. All right, well, good. Yeah. We're very happy that you're not. And yes, that was uh, quite the the ironic kiss <laughs> at the end of an incredible perfect. career. It was perfect. W- w- yes, it was. It was absolutely perfect. All right, so there look to be some rumblings going on around the Bears. When it comes to the offensive coordinator search, What's been interesting to you? What do you want to know about these candidates? Yeah, well, I think it's been interesting that at least for most of these guys, there is a very focused uh, coaching tree. And it's similar to the one Luke Getze came from, right? Like you can understand the style of offense that that Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles uh, have an affinity for, but then you can see that they've also made this a, a thorough search, right? When you talk about a Greg Roman, you talk about a Cliff Kingsbury, certainly uh, in the news yesterday and today. Um, you, you look at uh, what Thomas Brown has done so early in his career. Um, Iberfus worked with Marcus Brady in Indianapolis. So I think it's, you know, in some ways it reminds me a little bit of the head coaching search from two years ago and its uh, thoroughness. I have a little bit more faith in the people running this one in terms of Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus overseeing it. And I'm very curious to see once they make the hire, like, you know, I asked the question last week, how do you find a guy who can A, either be the guy for Justin Fields or B, be the guy for a Caleb Williams or a rookie? And they kind of, the answer was kind of like, they need to find someone who can do both. And I think that's important. I think you would like, that's the dream is a coordinator who's so good that he can adapt to anybody. And, and I'm very interested to see who, who they landed. I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked to people you know um, of all the names, the one that I've gotten the most kind of positive vibes about in terms of like, oh, that would be pretty good as Shane Waldron. And I don't, again, I don't know a whole ton about these guys, but that's the one that you ask around. Hey, here are the guys the Bears are talking to. The one that gets like, the, oh, Shane Waldron would be pretty good. That That's kind of been the common name. Who's making the hire? Hmm. That's, that's a good question. I mean, it, it sh- it should be Matt Eberflus, and I think it's good and maybe interesting that Ryan Poles is kind of um, along for the ride in this. Um, but this is Eberflus's coaching staff, and he's in charge. And you know, regardless of what his record's been or the questions about whether or not he should still be head coach, like this is his team and his guy. And I'm, I've seen people kind of point out, like Kingsbury, for example, right. Someone says, oh, well, if the offense is good and the defense is not, then you move on from Eberflus and you just promote Cliff Kingsbury. I've seen people say that about a lot of these guys, but that's just usually it's like I can't even think about a time that that's happened. Yep. Like It's just not like if if the Bears are bad enough that Eberflus is fired at the end of the season, they probably weren't good on offense, right? Like they like the offensive coordinator probably hasn't done a whole lot to earn that opportunity. You know, this wasn't. I was thinking back to after John Fox was let go, they did interview Vic Fangio for that job. And and you could certainly have argued for Fangio's viability for that job. The defense wasn't the problem, um, but you knew that they were going to get an offensive guy. So I think this has got to be Iberfus's hire um, with the influence of Ryan Poles, which I do think is important. But I, I, it should be Iberfus making the final call because 
like he it's his job that's ultimately going to be in jeopardy if this offense doesn't work out. Ryan Poles could stick around for another head coaching cycle. But Eberflus has been so bad at it. They had to fire the defensive coordinator. They had to fire the running backs coach. They had to fire up almost the entire offensive staff. Like at this point, yeah. I, mean, I would think that Poles could say, you know, you're keeping your job, Flusy, but we're going to help you we're out. Gonna, we're going to make sure you have uh, some very active support, shall we say, when it comes to doing this again. Yeah. And if you guys remember when Eberfuss was introduced at Hallis Hall, Luke Getze was already pretty much in. He, I think he would have been, I don't know if he'd officially been hired, but we were asking questions about Luke Getze already at that presser. There wasn't, like, that was set. I mean, he had his eyes on Getze and was ready to go. So this is obviously a way different operation, and I would imagine that that's, that's a Ryan Poles effect. Maybe that's a Kevin Warren effect. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, so that is different. So I, I do think that you're seeing an influence from Ryan Poles. So this is going to be, it's unlike the t- the first time Iberfus hired an offensive coordinator. So if I guess that maybe builds some optimism that this is going to be a different process than what Iberfus went through the first time. We were talking when this first began, like trying to put together a list of names. I'm sure that, that you guys at The Athletic did, did the same thing. We were like, well, where do we put our resources into tracking this down? When it comes to Frank Reich, is, is that a name? That, does it make sense from a comfort level for Matt Eberflus that that be a guy that the, the Bears should bring in and, and ask to, to, to work with Eberflus? I mean, when you talk about somebody who you trust to either handle a quarterback like Justin Fields or a rookie, I mean, you look at Frank Reich's record, obviously it's not good last year, but the knowledge and the experience and the resume is there. Um, and then, the yeah, the, the comfortability and the familiarity with Matt Eberfuss is there. Um, I, I wonder how much of that is going to be, it's up to Frank Reich. You know, it certainly seems like, I mean, look, the guy can – take a couple of years off. Um, and it didn't, it certainly seemed like the way things ended in Carolina, he was not in a hurry to jump back into things. Uh, so maybe that's something that's going to be up to him. Um, but he also doesn't either really match a lot of the guys that they've talked to either. And I wonder if that's by design that they want They really specifically want somebody who's a little different, but I, I'm surprised we haven't heard that Lawrence. And that's why I wonder if that is going to be, if that's more of a Frank Reich decision than a Matty Rufus decision. That makes sense. What's up a defensive coordinator, a nominal defensive coordinator? Anything? Haven't heard anything there, Dan. I think I I wonder if this is a let's do this one first and put all of our eggs in this basket and and, and get this done. And then we can move on to that. And, and maybe they're not as worried about it because they I mean, I know Matt Eberfuss said it's still up in the air, but I, I would be surprised if he's not calling plays. Uh I, I think and that one, I think you have a lot more options. Um now you're not gonna be bringing in some like you know you're probably not bringing like a future head coach for that role i'm not sure how alluring that that role is to people but i do think that you can spread a wide net because you can bring in a veteran you can bring in a younger person i just think there's like there's like just a lot of options because i still don't really know what that role is going to be and that's maybe you know maybe that brings challenges to it but i mean name a defensive coach and he's probably qualified for that role um so yeah it, it's weird that we haven't heard anything that makes me guess that, that they want to get this one offensive done first in-house right you've got Borgonzi you've got John Hoke those guys make some sense um but they really like the way those guys work with their positions too 
So maybe they do want somebody else who's just going to be able to oversee everything. This is really just a time management thing for Matt Eberfuss. Somebody just organize things, help run meetings. Because he told us like his, the, the time management element of this was the hardest thing once he took over play calling to try to balance all those all three phases of the game. Now with some time to digest, when you go back through the transcripts or go back and listen, what did you make of the way that Kevin Warren talked about the stadium situation? I haven't gone back and listened to it, Lawrence, because I feel like you, you listen to Kevin Warren once and you kind of got it figured out. Yeah. You kinda <laughs> got, listen, there is, I've never come across somebody, at least in this world that I've been working in that talks the way he does. It's incredible. It really is. Um, it's, it's definitely not like Ted Phillips. I tell you that. Um, I mean, the biggest takeaway to me is that that he really is keeping the door open to Chicago. I mean, I know co- some of the questions were a little bit leading to get him to talk about Chicago, but like he gave Arlington Heights just like a couple like nods, like that was it. And I mean, this is this is total. I'm going to use my Sports Writer of the Year award to be to do some rampant irresponsible speculation there you here. go sweet that's having yeah. some fun with it let's do it and just like i'm just like i want do you guys wonder if he came into this job and was like why did you buy that land in arlington heist did you guys really think it was going to be easy to deal with these school districts look like, it, it is one of the things that i told dan that in in my mind i imagine kevin warren at home with greta <laughs> and and him Looking at that deal, like with glasses, like with his reading glasses on, Mm -hmm. complaining to her and being like, you're not going to believe this. Right. You're not going to believe what they did and what I have to now fix. How could they not use the leverage to get what they wanted? And now I got to figure out how to make all this stuff work. It has been in my mind since he took the job. Yeah. That makes me feel better about my rampant speculation, Lawrence. I mean, I just like... The, the way he talks about Chicago, the way that he and Mayor Johnson have been like meeting and, and clearly are getting along well and keeping this thing open. There's been no animosity that we've heard of. And I just I just wonder because because when the, when the deal got done, my sense was there is no way that this family is going to spend this much money on land and not use it and just to flip it. But you know what? They brought this guy here to build a stadium. And he's in charge of this operation now. So I definitely think, yeah, my biggest takeaway was Chicago seems to be very much still in the picture. I don't, I, I can't put a percentage on it, but that was that was what what I uh, really left that press conference thinking, like, oh, yeah, we we could be staying in the city. Back to the offense for a second. What does the retention of offensive line coach Chris Morgan augur in your mind for what kind of offense they want to run? So this is interesting, Dan, because that was a, that was a unique, I don't know how, I guess I just don't know how unique it is to keep your offensive line coach and get a new coordinator. But, you know, Chris Morgan, a lot of times is the run game coordinator. Like he's usually the guy drawing up the run stuff. And we, we saw, you know, they were pretty good running the ball, not consistent this year. They needed to be more consistent, but they were still pretty good. Um, obviously they really value what he's done with Darnell Wright and Tevin Jenkins and Braxton Jones. That's priority one. Um, how is that going to work with an offensive coordinator who might want to bring in his own run game coordinator who has different run game ideas than Chris Morgan? Is this going to be an awkward situation? But again, you go back to these coaching trees, right? Chris Morgan was with Kyle Shanahan. So if it's a Clint Kubiak, 
if it's a you know if it's one of the guys from the McVeigh tree and McVeigh was with Shanahan in Washington, Chris Morgan was in Washington. Um, he was on that staff where you always see the picture of it. They never show Chris Morgan's picture, but he was on that staff too, um, along with Richard Hightower, the Bears special teams coach. So I, I think if it's somebody from there, it's an easy marriage. Um, if it's somebody else. Um, that would be interesting. Like, would they want? Would they want to bring in their new off- own offensive line coach, or would Matty Rufus say, "No, you you're going to have Chris Morgan um, because he's been, done such a great job with these guys, and we like the way he designs run run schemes, and like that's who it's going to be." So that's why I wonder if again, if it's from the Shanahan McVay tree, I don't think it's a problem. But somebody else, I'll be interested interested to see who else gets hired and and how they make that work. How much of what you've seen from from Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur, do you think is going to end up being the way that it goes for now on? Because it's a terrifying thought that they now have a Favre-Rogers hybrid who plays quarterback in Green Bay. Yeah, you know, I'd like to see somebody put some pressure on him, right? But, like... There was the third down play that kind of sealed it in week 18 where the Bears did pressure him and he moved to his right, flick of the wrist, threw to his left, hit his tight end in stride for the first down. And that was like, oh my God, like this guy's a machine. And, you know, I I think that you do have the opportunity to to say, all right, every coach, every corner has got a year of film on him now. What can we do differently? I mean, shoot, look at what happened. What happened to Jalen Hurts this year? Uh, you you sometimes see quarterbacks that have that great rise and then defenses figure it out. But his accurate accuracy, like the way, like it's one thing for guys to be open. It's one thing for him to have time, but he puts it on the guys like no problem. And so, yeah, if you're looking for hope, I do think it's like, all right, defensive now have seen what he can do and they're going to adjust. And we've seen that defenses have, you know, uh, you see some of the, you're not seeing like the 50 point games as much anymore. Like these defenses are pretty good. So how are they going to adjust to him? So that's, that's some hope, but man, I've been, I've been incredibly impressed with what he's done with a group of receivers that not many people outside of green Bay have heard of, um, you know, the offensive line, I don't think there's a single pro bowler on that offensive line. So it's a lot of credit to Matt LaFleur. It's a lot of credit to Jordan Love. It is a scary proposition for the bears. Um, but I, I, I am curious to see how defenses, you know, maybe it's this week, um, you know, if he's playing from behind and he's got to throw it all the time and can't really rely on Aaron Jones and the 49ers have some good pressure packages for him. Um, I mean, that, that, that 49ers team is a machine, too. So, like, th- this is going to be a great test. I mean, we could be talking next Friday and be like, all right, we, we found we found the kryptonite. We saw it. But from what you've seen the last month, um, yeah, this this dude could be, be pretty good for a long time. Kevin Fishbane, have a great weekend, man. We'll talk next week. All right, take care, guys. That's Kevin Fishbane. And next up, the latest on what we're hearing regarding this White Sox stadium and what this discussion all means. Because mm-hmm. it does seem to have changed the tone. It's ignited something that, that no one thought could ever be ignited again. That's next on The Score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Jerry doesn't waste time. Politicians, sorry guys, but they waste a lot of air time. Uh, but, uh, but Jerry does not. Uh, and so if this is something that he is looking at and is serious about, 
we should all be very seriously looking at it because, you know, Jerry, whether he speaks or not, when he does speak, he's he's pretty truthful. And we're not, you know, that's that's uh, so, you know, when he said that he wasn't talking to the the Nashville mayor about moving down there, I, I take him at his word on that. And if this is something that he is interested in, he can he has the ability to move a lot of uh, a lot of pieces uh, on the board to get something like this done. Mark Gannis of Sports Corp, who is a stadium deal expert based here in Chicago. His thoughts on the news that we got about serious talks. Always, always serious talks. They can't be frivolous talks. Can't be silly talks. Serious, serious talks about the White Sox moving to the 78. I think that this has been the only thing that's happened in the last few months for the White Sox that has resonated in a positive way. Almost everything else, even up, even up to the, the Bulls ring of honor, has been like, oh, eh, the things are really, really bad for the White Sox. And when you look at the way the roster that they're putting together, you can understand why. This thing, though, I did a pot on it last night. I talked with Rob Hart, you know, sensible White Sox fan, in, in the hallway earlier today about it. I saw the Sox machine guys yeah. were, were, ta- Sox machine. We're, were talking about it a little bit. And, Sack machine. <laughs> and a lot of White Sox fans have been like trying to imagine it. I, I romanticize about it. We both have had the experience of being near that area and seeing what it should look like from a view standpoint. And if you're like, wait, what are you guys talking about? Just go, if you're in the city today, go over by Granderson Field and look north-northeast. And you'll see what it could look like from over there. I have questions and concerns. I don't, I don't know if it'll fit. And I'm looking forward to talking with Lee Bay about that. And we're going to talk with him in the next segment. But you know what? When I thought about it after having the conversation with Rob, I thought about something that you brought up as it pertains to football. What if the White Sox went with a sleeker stadium design? Maybe it doesn't have to be a 40,000-seat behemoth. Maybe it can be 20,000 seats. Is it in... Could could the White Sox and, and Jerry Reinsdorf and the people talking to Jerry Reinsdorf be forward-thinking enough that they build a stadium that's a little bit more television studio than it is classic baseball stadium? Ooh, it's, you'd think they, they would have to be open to that because of area constraints just because of the geometry they don't have that much room to work with and then when you start you have to add in some of the other stuff too where figuring out how to get cars there there's going to have to be significant significant city and state cooperation here to kind of make all of this work and it's funny because i went back over what people were writing about, oh, well, you know, it, it, it'll be very convenient because of its proximity to the, the red line, the green line, and the orange line. As if 35th and Shields isn't convenient to the green line, the red line, and a metra line that lets you off right there. You walk over the Dan Ryan and you're at the ballpark. 
it's kind of strange because I've always felt, and, and maybe this is because of my proximity to the park, I've always felt that it's a fairly easy place to get in and get out of. Now, I get it. Someone that's coming from the northern suburbs, someone who's coming from the western suburbs, the traffic thing is real, and that's. but this doesn't fix that for you. <laughs> like, if, if you think that you getting off on Roosevelt Road is going to fix things for you when you come to White Sox games. I got I got some bad news for you. I have it's my not. own. I've had my own secret back way of getting to the park that I'm not going to tell anybody. Oh, about. Come, Dan, no one's going anyway. You could tell folks. No, this is like the Les Grobstein. How do you get to the Kennedy from Wrigley Field thing? No, there's the the key is Canal Street. I agree. That's that's how See, you it wasn't jump some the big line. secret, Dan. No, but everyone just, knows. But you got to know. But you got to know how, how and when. Yeah. I, I will. I, I will just tell you that really the the key is is knowing how to get through on Canal Street. I mean, there's so many people who still don't know about the Batcave. Dan doesn't even really know about it. He passes it every day. I sometimes it's it's closed though, right? But how some, do you, how does sometimes it's open? I know, but when it's open, how do you know you can get out? Because it's motion censored on the back ends. Oh, so once you're in, mm-hmm. you can get out. Yep. And you can make your choice. You can get off by by Mayor Daly's house, which was the whole point of it, or you can go to McCormick Place. It literally is parallel to the Metro Electric line. Yeah, that's that's when I saw Kamala's motorcade when I was coming out. That was all. It was all through there. Yeah, man. All rolling. It's a good little. You know, if if you need to get south quickly, it's a good little way to do that. Anyway. I look at this and I say, could you do something cool there from an from a architectural standpoint and maybe change the game uh-huh. when it comes to the way baseball stadiums are built going into the future? It's great when you have 40,000 there for a playoff game or a rivalry game or a big series, but let's be honest, like that's not what usually happens at a White Sox game. And Maybe you don't get a chance to make as much money, but if you built a smaller stadium, I feel like it could be it could really be a a new way to look at baseball stadium construction. Like, let's get nimble with this thing, especially because the White Sox have struggled to draw generally. I mean, you right. don't, you don't want to be leaving money on the table. Because you would presume that you'd get a bump. So you don't want to say, well, if only we'd had 10,000 more seats, look how much more money we could be making. And I don't know the line item numbers when it comes to the, the, the remaining significance of season tickets in their budgeting. And maybe I've reduced it too far. Maybe there's a happy medium. Maybe the you're, number you're, is 25,000. But that's still a AAA park at 25. Like how 20 to 25 is, is like. When they built the new one in Raleigh Durham, I think it was around. I feel like AAA's around, right? are like ten thousand usually. I thought that how was much, more how much is, A. How much is Charlotte? Ray, tell me how much the 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 field in Charlotte is for the White Sox. How much the what's the capacity on it? Because ten like ten thousand, eleven thousand feels right to me for a AAA place. But maybe Dan's right. Maybe it is a. No, a, you're right. The Durham the the rebuilt Durham Athletic Park is ten thousand. And that's AAA. They went from single A to AAA when they built that building. 
And this that, that this was, texture says, with 20,000-seat stadium, you can kiss an all-star game goodbye. Okay. Fine. You get one every 30 years. Who cares? Truest field is a capacity of 10,200. Mm, yeah. You're right. You're right. I thought it was more. About 10-5 for AAA is what you get. I, they're probably not thinking this. They're probably thinking 40,000 seats. Because why not? I'm just saying that there is a chance here to for you to look at it differently. Yeah, this looks about right for the AAA stadiums. The, the biggest, you know, Buffalo Bisons, 16,000. Louisville Slugger Field for the Louisville Bats is 13,000. That place is gorgeous, by the way. And the Sacramento River Cats, 14,000. Salt Lake Bees, 14,000. All right, so maybe the number needs to be about 25,000. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, too, if you do have a stadium that, that's that size, around that size, do you create demand? Prime, sure, you, you, you get more of a prime ticket when there's fewer of them. I wonder if there's a sweet spot. I wonder if people at the White Sox are even considering this. I just think the key is don't push everybody away and back. Like the re- For those of us who went to a lot of games at Comiskey, sitting in the upper deck just meant you were higher. It didn't necessarily mean you were that much further back. When you move up the decks in, in guaranteed rate, you're getting further and further away from the field horizontally as well as vertically. That's the one thing that was so awesome about old Tiger Stadium was you could be in the upper deck and, and be closer to the field in the outfield. Yes. I... When I go by there, I look at that parcel of land, and I I get that I don't have an architect's eye. I don't know anything really about architecture. But I look at the space, and I go, that feels too small. It it also feels – maybe small is not the right word, and this is what Rob and I were talking about. It feels too narrow Mm -hmm. for me to – to, to think that something can fit there and you can get all the things that you need, especially if we're talking about thirty-five to 40,000 people stadium instead of a kind of sleeker model stadium. And Crane Chicago Business just posted that the White Sox and developer-related Midwest are continuing to meet with elected officials as they probe the appetite to spend public dollars Uh-oh. to help subsidize the construction. I will tell you that I have no appetite for yeah. you to spend public Here, dollars on this. Consider my appetite probed. And the answer is no. And that's what the governor, J.B. Pritzker, said yesterday when asked about this. Yeah, this we're, we're, we are dropping discussion of this if you are to asking me to pay for it. You want to pay for it? Put it there. Put it right in the city, do whatever you want, and make all your money. Well, you know, what if you do make it an entertainment district? I, no, 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 no. No. Hard pass. No. You, you, you want to pay? Go ahead. But I'm not paying for it. Why don't we find out what some things that we might need to know from someone, you know, who actually knows stuff. Lee Bay is going to talk to us about this. This guy will have an idea because he's a sports fan and, you know, he knows about architecture because of his job and stuff. We're going to talk with him next on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2. Your midday destination for Chicago Sports Talk on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Well, nobody's made an ask yet, so uh, having said that, uh, I think you know my views about, uh, you know, privately owned teams and, uh, you know, whether the public should be paying for 
private facilities that will be used by private businesses. Having said that, I mean, there are things that government does to support business all across the state, investing in infrastructure, making sure that we're, uh, you know, supporting the uh, success of business in Illinois. So, you know, as with all of the other, whether it's sports teams or, or other private businesses, we'll be looking at whatever they may be suggesting or asking. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, not as I misheard yesterday, Bears safety Jaquan Brisker. It was not Jaquan Brisker. <laughs> it was Pritzker. J.B. doesn't have a Western PA accent like Jaquan does. Correct. I should be able to easily tell them apart, especially if each or both were to walk in the room. Let's get an expert opinion on this news right now as we are joined by Lee Bay. Lee is the architecture critic for the Chicago Sun-Times. He is with us on the Circus Sports Illinois hotline, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670. The score. Hello again, Lee. He's on Zoom, too. Look at that. Indeed. Indeed. Good to, good to be here. Thank you. So when you heard that this was a possibility, what kind of ran through your mind as the both the, the pros and cons of them trying to develop in the seventy eight? Well, you know, I guess three things. One is uh, what's going to be the public ask because you know, no, no, no stadium, no developer, and no stadium, and no baseball team owner does these things without asking the public for money to do it with. That's one. Two is what's going to happen to guaranteed rate field if the Sox move. And three, um, looking at the developer related development. You know, in a way, it's kind of a slick, a cool move on their part because the uh, development. You know, it's, it's slow to kind of launch and then be able to have a baseball team, Major League Baseball team stadium there can jumpstart things a little better. When you just first glance, first blush, look at that rectangle of land, knowing how they would want to orient the stadium, is it big enough? You know, that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, I've been looking at that, at that, at that thing. Um, you know, it can be, um, you know. Uh, depend, you know, the, you know, the, depending on the angle that it is in, I mean, obviously you want the skyline, uh, you know, in front of home plate, you know, uh, as opposed to how it is now at Comiskey, it, it, it can be. Um, the river is a navigable waterway, so you can't really add landfill to, you know, widen it. Uh, so they are stuck with what's there, but I think it can work. I think it can work. Well, we were having a discussion, and it's been a bigger discussion on this show about the idea of changing the way that people would go about designing stadiums. And I get that if, if the White Sox wanted to build something new, they'd, they'd want off-season stuff there. They'd want concerts, like that sort of thing there. But we keep wondering if it makes maybe more sense to build something that's a little sleeker or smaller, Lee, that, that would be a, an ode to where televised sports is going versus kind of what we've always seen with bigger is better when it comes to the way that buildings are built. You know, that's a really good point. I mean, that, you know, uh, the, you know, where they are now, they don't really fill it, you know, that often. So one could make the argument for a smaller stadium that really could, uh, you know, uh, that's kind of right size. I hate that term uh, for, for that market, for the, for the Sox market, but also can be used for stadium for uh, concerts and other things. Um, tough to fill 48,000 seats, a little easier to fill maybe 28,000 seats, 32,000 seats. Yeah, that, that, that to me would be kind of, and I think it could probably maybe even look cool too. So what goes through through your checklist now? 
when you're looking at, at the 78, because one of the things that I'm concerned about is like environmental stuff, but what, what do you want to know about how they could go about trying to do this? Well, you know, I, I'd like to know more about, you know, since this would be the, the proposal for this is a late arrival of sorts to the 78 development plans. Um, so I want to know how it fits in to the community that they're, they're looking to build around it, what kind of infrastructure asked, and, and I think the government kind of hints at that a little bit of the clip that you paid, played, what kind of infrastructure ask is going to be made of government now, what kind of streets, you know, what, you know that kind of thing, access, r- rail, transit is going to have to be there now. Those, those are the things, um, those are the things to, uh, that make me a little concerned. I, I'm, I'm also thinking that the, uh, the neighbors in Chinatown and, and nearby, they also fought when this site was um, proposed for a casino. Uh, you know, they, and they, they, they made some noise about that. I think that they're going to be some, uh, you know, there's going to there's going to be that sort of process where if they do this, they're going to have to really convince the neighbors, the ones that are nearby and already there, and possibly the ones to come, that this is a good idea. I was also thinking that it might even rekindle some of the casino conversations. Because once you kick the door down, and once you, I don't know if it would be necessarily Trojan horse, but that would be the holy grail of, for the ownership to, to have some version of a sports book, that exactly what the Cubs are doing. You know, exactly. You know, and, and increasingly those are part of, the stadium experience. Um, and so, yeah, I could, I could certainly see that happening. Um, you know, I, I also, if I could go, go back to a second to old Kaminsky, well, to guaranteed rate field, I, you know, the, the, you ask, you know, what was on my mind? The thing that got me was I thought, okay, great. A new, cause a new stadium would have the, the, the skyline behind it, a new neighborhood around it, all those things. Then I thought, well, guaranteed rate field, White Sox park, surrounded by 70 acres of parking, you could keep that stadium and build, you know, a neighborhood there. And and, and the, the Sox have been resistant to that, although it's publicly owned, the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority owns the stadium, but Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf, you know, basically has say-so on what does and doesn't happen in those parking lots. I, I thought, why not improve what's there uh, as opposed to going to build another stadium and then having to worry about what, what to do with the one that's left behind. I also am interested in the the choice that the White Sox make of when we finally see renderings, Lee, of what they the opportunity that they have here to make up for the mistakes of the other build where they they missed it. They just missed it. And 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 the, when new Comiskey was built, it was much more in the style closer to the cookie-cutter parks of the 70s, like Three Rivers and Riverfront and Bush, rather than and then, then all of a sudden, here comes Camden Yards, and here comes the nostalgic, quirky, like the way ballparks used to be when they were retrofitted theaters and polo grounds and, and all of that. What do you think, just from purely an artistic perspective, should be the goal of a new Major League Baseball park. I, I think this uh, this new generation of park will be ballparks going to kind of be a mixture of both. It'll be modern enough, you know, kind of blitzy enough, uh, you know, to you know attract today's customer base. 
but have elements of, uh, of the past there. Won't be a direct copy uh, where you can sort of look at the, as with guaranteed rate field, once they finally got it right, where you'd be able to look at the rhythm of the windows and say, oh yeah, that reminds me of old Kaminsky. I, I, th I think it would be kind of like a mixture of the, of, of the two. But as you mentioned, as you both mentioned, it'll also have to be a multi-use stadium. So it'll have to be done in a way where, um, you know, and, and look, you know, so in a way where it can host, you know, God forbid, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift concert or, or, or right. Rolling Stones. Or, Why is Taylor Swift going to catch know. strays here? What's wrong with Taylor Swift? Know. Everyone else is doing it. I want to join in. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, because these things are also good for the economy. I just, you know, Taylor took a stray. We should also dumped untold millions into our economy last summer. So that also has to be part of the mix. So what kind of house can you build that uh, facilitates that, allows that to happen? Architecturally, how does it look? How does it function? What's the ease of getting there, which is really, really important uh, uh, as well. Lee, before we let you go, I want to ask you about the Bears real quick, because mm -hmm. obviously they have the parcel of land out of Arlington Heights, but it does seem like Kevin Warren is kind of like, I'm waiting for a better opportunity or deal. We keep seeing him with Brandon Johnson. They seem to be friendly, which I think is a good thing overall. Is there anything that they can do with Soldier Field that would make any sense to you? Or is it? Or have they done everything that they can with that space and with some of the protected land that's around it? You know, that's a good question and, and a frustrating one because if you are a team and you want to go to Arlington Heights and build there, then Soldier Field has nothing for you, right? I mean, you can't build hotels around it because the public owns the land. You know, you, you can't build this kind of destination like SoFi I mean, you, you, so I, I don't, I do not understand for the life of me what the Bears are doing. It's like if you want that other thing, then Soldier Field should be a non-starter of, 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 a, of, a, of, a, of a question now. Um, but then they're also cheap, right? I mean, notoriously so. What's the old thing about Hallis throwing nickels around like manhole covers? They're also cheap, and uh, so there's also this idea of what's a way I can get a stadium without having to spend up all my money. Kind of a kind of a thing too. That's kind of like the Bears, the Bears thing. So I honestly don't know. I mean, there's this talk of putting it on the parking lot um, there, but what does that really? What does that? What does that get you? I mean, you won't be able to build a you know a, a massively larger stadium there, uh, and then if you do, you won't be able to put the goodies around it, like hotels and and other you know commercial interests, other things that um, that uh, the stadium own, stadium owners and team owners want now. It's it's a weird thing. I have no idea what they're looking at. It, it, it's it's like saying, uh, you know, I want a cake, but I'm in the steak section looking for some sweets. It's like <laughs> you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't do that, right? Um, so uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But but I but I I made a bet with my editorial board uh, at the Sun Times to see in the end their cheapness is going to win out. So I would not be surprised if. Um, there's some fixes to Soldier Field, not a dome, uh, but something that, that makes them say, okay, I'd rather spend $6 here than $30 in suburbia, if you will. Uh, and, and that's and they end up being at Soldier Field. I wouldn't be surprised. Lee Bay, architecture critic of the Chicago Sun-Times, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love him. Best.
He's so great. Let's talk some Bulls basketball next with Darnell Mayberry on the score. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.